How do you discover your purpose? This specific question is the thing that shows up the most in my talks, my my consultation calls with boyos. I find many boyos are lost in this world trying to find a place and a purpose and a direction and a mission to tie themselves up in. And this is not just restricted to the boyos. It's also very present in that other gender out there. The females, the girls, they often are looking for a purpose as well. What do I do? Who do I become? Where do I fit into the whole plan? Now, I will note, starting out, that there is a very interesting difference between how often these two these two genders ask this stuff because the girls tend to ask something a lot more felt. They're looking for a a state of being in the future. I want to be in a place where I feel happy. Whereas boy, boyos are looking for the same thing, I believe, but they're looking for almost like a target, you know? They want a, a, a role, an identity, and that identity will bring them happiness. It's a very, very interesting thing to watch these these implicit gendered uh, roles and, and uh, orientations of mind manifest in these descriptions as they go so these two coordinations are often popping up and they're, they're both like oscillating around the same desire uh, forwardness future goal purpose dopamine um, answering the left brain and in my experience as well I've often found that a lot of people have been absolutely brainwashed by uh, a lot of the shall we say the self-help community that is out there because they see this purpose as what I would call a jargonized conception I would challenge them with the old um, riddle, the riddle of the boyo, where I'd say, well, what is a pur- <laughs> what is a purpose? What's going on? Why do you want this thing? Where is this thing? Show me a purpose. What does a purpose look like? And people scratch their head and they're like, Steph, stop trying to pretend you're Yoda. You're a fucking Irishman. Shut up and just tell me what I need. But then, of course, I am trying to give them what they need as opposed to feeding them the exact words they want to hear and tell them it's all all right. Here's your purpose. Here's pulling pulling out of my, my, uh, my, my brown boyo envelope and saying here's the magic purpose you're looking for sealed with candle wick written in felt tip quill here you go mr potter here you go you're going to hogwarts you finally asked the question i know you're going to hogwarts you've come to the right guy i am platform three and three quarters or whatever and um i take a a huge amount of issue with this because i feel that it is a consequence of many different things that are that have to be revealed and exposed and there's this conception that we're all just going to um, enlighten we can just sit down there and, and scribble out this goal and that will be the only time you ever need to think about this and it'll just give you all these virtues such as happiness direction motivation charisma just because you put this thing in place just because you you know sit down there and you scribble on your piece of paper this one thing so we're going to talk about this today and what it means and how you can find it and how I went through these struggles myself and how I wish to guide you towards the realm of purpose where you're full of juice. So I'm going to first talk to you about something known as historical sense. And when you realize what this is, when I put this knowledge out publicly, when you see how much this influences your decision of the purpose, it's going to be it's going to be a, a it's going to be chaos. The 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 powers to be are going to have to create an anti-boyo mountain force because there will be millions of boyos charging up onto every mountain there is. Every hierarchy will be conquered. There'll be these giant big black blobs on top 
top of all the mountains. They'll be called boyo beehives, where there's just a load of boyos full of juice just running around being like, purpose, 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 I feel it, I feel it, I feel it. And and this this is this is the danger that is happening. I am even tentative about doing this. I believe that this this channel will be deleted. I believe I'll be assassinated as I walk out my door. They'll like put me in, they'll like shove me in a car and they'll be like, you went too fucking far with this one, man. You said too much. And I'll be like, I know, I know, take me, take me to uh, the 1984 room and get me, stick the rat in my face, make it, make it end. I, I, I apologize. I was wrong. I broke the taboo of the noble lie. This... <laughs> This is the um, this is the problem of historical sense that Nietzsche and Young both spoke about. And this is about knowing where you fit into the kind of big story that we are going to go. Th- we are currently going through, and this the place where this historical problem comes up for us. The thing that so many people are ignorant of, in my experience, is the industrial revolution. And so this is where we're going to start our conversation. Now, what you will realize these days, if you just open your eyes and look around, despite all this media that's getting appearing into your heads, all these ads, all these billboards that are like everybody's sexy and happy and beautiful, and everybody seems to live on a beach all the time, despite all this, despite everybody smiling, despite everything being awesome, what you'll notice is that people are actually not in a good place psychologically. We've got all these strange statistics coming in that we kind of shove into the corner and and blame on I don't know I don't know very very uh, very very suspect things we shove them into the corner to suggest to us that we are in a mental health crisis that we have a massive uh, opioid crisis because people are taking painkillers because they're they're filled with so much existential dread and whatnot and the general state of the modern is an inanimate and um, denatured existence a sterilized existence their souls are empties their bodies are full of pain they're lost in this realm of jargonizing abstractions they're running around trying to figure out what's happening in the world but they can't make sense of it and they all bring this terrible energy living inside their body this anguish this existential dread combined with this like useless jargonizing and they project it onto social media they they puke it they they blurt it out they they just you know they spunk it out onto twitter for the joy of all of us to experience this stuff it feels like walking in there is like you're 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 going into the the literally like going through the gates of hell and just hearing all the screams of people like trapped in the libidinous juices that have like cr- crystallized and crusted encrusted them over and imprisoned them and this is the the end result of a quite a long process this is not normal I guess is what you could say. This is the shallow soul of a modernized consumer. This is the callous, empty, hollowed out heart of someone who lives in a machine society that has stripped them out of what it means to be human and placed them into the position of a cog in a machine. And all of this stuff sounds very, very nasty and naughty and mean. Like, we're not supposed to think this way. We're not supposed to be so cynical and pessimistic. But I'm afraid to say this is the evidence as it's appearing to me empirically. And of course, you should know what empirically means this means going off experience and trusting your right brain to be able to process that as opposed to listening to all the data as it comes to you and thinking that that counts as like the only way that you can do a scientific and by scientific we mean the ability to acquire knowledge effort and so what we we come across when we spend our time empirically interacting with the world is that people are feeling inanimate people are feeling broken and you'll know from listening to my channel and listening to many other people that there's this incredible problem 
problem. Um, for example, like Nietzsche suggested, where we're stuck in our heads and we're not in our bodies, where we are full of concepts and ideas, but we are shallow in instincts. And this is all a consequence of the industrial revolution. See, we were a lot more in touch with ourselves. We were a lot more in touch with our bodies. We were a lot happier before we got all these pretty nice things. Because if you think about your life now and how it works, what happens is you wake up in the morning in a big piece of technology, not in nature. And then what happens is you roll over. Maybe I do. (laughs) You roll over and you hop on, you step onto this carpet, which is a piece of technology, which is not nature. And then you walk around and you pick up some pieces of technology which maybe were nature once but they've now long been sterilized and even this maybe it's sheepskin maybe it's goatskin but it's probably not it's probably some fake fur of some sort because that's humane and so this is just another piece of fake technology another piece of dead matter another piece of inanimate life that has been shaped into a tool but is not really alive not really existing it's not really vibrant and present and then i i get out and i walk down my steps which is all dead inanimate technology and i go out into the tarmac and a big lump of dead inanimate technology grumbles by me with a little person inside of it and then you go and you go to the shop and you know you go to the butcher and there's all this um, meat that is kind of fresh but it's still sort of dead, but nonetheless, it's fresh. You're about to eat this stuff and you you point to it. And then instead of even touching this, this is probably the closest you're ever going to get to life. And instead of even touching it, what they do is they put it in a bag. You know, you go to the shop and instead of touching the onions, touching the apples, they all come in bags. And so you pick all this stuff up and you put it in your little bag and you, and you wash your hands. And nowadays you even cover your faces and there's all these like prisons up. Everything is put into this realm of technology and it's all dead. It's all inanimate. It's all like it's like you're living in a giant condom where you can't touch nature. You know, that's the that's the sort of existence you're going through. And you're <laughs> and you're. <laughs> And you're, you you go and you come back home and you place this in a pan and you pick up like the olive oil and you pour it out. But it's a piece of technology. You don't touch the olive oil. And then you wash your hands very carefully. If you ever touch that meat or something like that, oh my God, you wash it. You take all the, the apples and you put them in salt water or something like that or apple cider vinegar in order to clear off the chemicals to, to, de- to, to sterilize them from the, the processing that they went through. And your existence operates this way. And then every now and again, you'll get this like little sliver of of of, of of nature through your food and that's you kind of orientating things again and nowadays someone will walk in and you won't even touch them you'll kind of like stand from a distance and you'll like do the whole corona wave and all this type of stuff and it's separate we're living the only contact point we have at reality is these inanimate dead pieces of technology now this actually is something that we should really chew on quite a lot excuse the pun we should really focus on the idea of what it means to be a person because we, we've got this idea in our heads historically that to be a person is something to do with, you know, humane, humaneness and c- concepts. It's basically like, do you have the right concepts in your head? It's like, oh, yeah, I, I support the, the, the popular ideology. I support the humane concept. I support the good thing in my mind. But but that is incorrect. That is your left brain acting as a tyrant that I constantly talk about. The But we're here back again to it's like I want you to hold the left brain's arms while I give it a couple of smacks and deliver because such a, such a, this is where we'll get back in touch with nature is by giving the left brain a battering, batter the bad brain. 
But what you must understand is that what it means to exist is not something that you can grasp with a concept, not something that you can put into a box, not something that some jargonite can explain to you. That's not living. That's living within a prison, living within a plastic coating. That is not a, that is not life. Life is something that is animate. Life is something that shines. Life is something that grows and moves and kicks and it has a heartbeat. And that is something a lot different than the general way we coordinate our life. And if you woke up in... 500 years ago, you would have rolled out of bed onto a floor that probably had mud on it that was probably a bit dirty. Your clothes you put on, they probably smelled of like cow poop because you were a farmer. You'd, you'd hear the birds outside instead of the, the grumbling of cars. You'd walk outside and smell the the, 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 the the crap that was going on. You'd have to go and grab a cow and milk its boobs and like squirt the boob till all this like juice comes out and then you pick up the juice and you wouldn't clean the juice. It'd be full of all this disgusting bacteria and you'd bring that home you wouldn't you wouldn't cook it and pasteurize it you just pour it out and you just drink it and you get all this like dirty bacteria that are going to your body which we've actually discovered is really good for you but that's a secret don't ever talk about that or you'll get in trouble and you'd put all that dirty bacteria into your body and it'd make your gut strong and it'd make your immune system strong and then you go out and then you'd have to kill maybe the pig or something like that and so you'd have to go out and you want to get this piece of meat you'd have to go out and you'd have to hold the pig and like you know this is a pig that you'd probably given a name to and you know it and you're kind of looking at it and this is the the morning for you having to eat and you probably feel awful you're about to fucking kill something you're gonna like slit this poor fuck's throat and you're standing there and it's like got a personality because pigs are smart and you're sort of like oh jesus christ and you have to bring your kid out and you have to sort of and you're standing there and you're in the mud and you can smell all this stuff and there's birds watching and the sun's coming up and there's trees blowing in the wind and you're like this is the last time this kid's ever gonna live and so uh, this <laughs> this pig is ever gonna live and so you put your hand on the pig and you slit the throat and and you feel it's you feel the knife going through it and you're holding it you can feel its heat and you can feel its heartbeat and you can see the blood coming out and you look in its eyes and you take the thing's life you watch its soul leave its body you watch it go inanimate and it, it grounds you and this is the middle of the morning just for you to eat you have to do something like this and then you come back in and you're kind of with your wife and you're in a bad mood and she knows you're in a bad mood because you just have to kill the fucking pet pig basically and so she's kind of like sort of talking to you and like spending time with you and it's a very very human thing and then you might go to the local community and you know you want to go and you want to talk to people and you don't go on facebook and talk abstractly through the the prism of jargon which is technology you don't like you know write your opinion and count that as like human interaction you might go to the church or you might go to the local pub or something like that and you talk to someone in person and there'll be all these like things that you can't put on facebook like sub communications and you know things like the vibe the mood the sort of presence do you ever hear that word before the presence it's kind of weird like presence doesn't necessarily exist on the internet does it at all it's that's something that you feel in person and this is the qualitative difference between these two types of of experiences and and what we and you and i and art struggle as human beings as these in incredible creatures with these incredible left brains is that we figured out ways to make technology really really powerful and that's great and and there's technology back in those days but not a, as much of it but basically it got so good about 250 years ago that we started to you know build like super projects we started to build cities and the cities started to grow out of the ground like these giant castles of technology and and of course all the the, the fun was going on there that's where everything was happening and you can even look at poets like williams wordsworth where he's sort of saying to himself oh my god oh my god what we why why are all the kids going to the cities this is crazy this isn't good 
this industrial revolution this is crazy we should hold on it's not gonna this is gonna kind of ruin everybody but of course all the kids all the kids would be running around and they'd be saying to themselves what is my purpose what am I going to do? Am I just going to sit around here in this stupid farm with these stupid cows killing pigs? Like, what? I, I, am I just going to sit around, like, doing nothing? Like, where's my future? Where's my possibility? Where's my horizon? Where's my chance of progressing? Where's my chance of ascending? You know, I could go to the city and I could, um, you know, start a shipyard and become a capitalist and make huge amounts of money. I could become really, really rich, or I could go to the city and meet, like a girl might say, I'll meet a big handsome capitalist, and I'd ascend out of this silly farm girl life, and I'd meet like a prince, a modern prince, and my life would change, I'd be a rich girl, I'd ascend, these type of things. And you start to see all these kids craving to escape because they're hearing all these stories about this magical city, and so they chase off to these cities, they go and they swamp into these big city prisons these big industry cities and with all these hopes and dreams that everything's going to work out you might recognize this that everything is awesome that everything has a purpose and a place and you're going to make it if you come and then you go into these big cities and then of course what ends up happening is you work in a factory and then you get depressed and you end up marrying some other girl working in a factory and you get shoved into a little council estate and you, they, they of course have to come in and take your cows from you because there's a, a tuberculosis going around. They have to sterilize and pasteurize your milk because there's massive diseases going around because they take all the milk from the countryside and pour it into one thing and the bacteria, a little bit of bag, that bacteria can poison thousands of people. They begin this gradual dehumanization, brutalizing and sterilizing of your existence. And then what happens is you find yourself having a kid with this girl and you long forget what it was like to be in the country. And then this kid has to go and be like a chimney sweeper. You take this kid and you plug him into like the organized school system and whatnot. Their minds become detached from reality. This kid has never seen nature in his whole life. And this is the beginning of a strange process where man becomes a city creature, a technological creature, a bit inside technology. And then this kid grows up and you have had your back broken from working in coal mines or in a factory or something like that. And you say to yourself, Oh, it just it is what it is you you let go of your dreams eventually but then your kid asks yourself what is my purpose what is my place and what do you tell them you say to go to a factory but of course this kid has got a very very difficult problem because he's saying why should i go and work in a stupid factory i've been doing that since i was a kid this is ridiculous i want something else i want a different horizon where do I go? And they might go to an office then. They all run out of manual labor where they break their backs building this stupid stuff, this progress, and they try to go into these offices where things are more intellectual. And then, of course, you find yourself close to where we are. And so this is essential to understand because this is where you sit. You sit on the crest of this movement, the crest of progress, the crest of industrial society. And no matter what you think your purpose is or what you want your purpose to be, you are not more powerful than this. You don't get to resist the collective will and forces that are going on around you. You merely must see them as an ocean that you ride upon, a wave that you get upon and learn to surf. And this is what I'm here to talk to you about. I certainly think you can choose your purpose, but you must ground yourself in what is actually happening. And so the way I want to dive into this is I want to talk a little bit about myself. I know, so selfish, but trust me, there's something to this. 
Dearest handsome boyos and beautiful boyettes, you must understand that I was once the young lad chasing out of the country towards the big city full of hopes and dreams. I remember going into college and I was going through this exact mindset. The world out there was boring and I guess a lot of what I framed earlier may sound pessimistic. It's like, oh, complaining about the modern world. But you see, I fell for it just the same because when I was a kid living in the farm, living among the dirt, living among the poop, living among the grass, the green, the, the, the quietness, I was always complaining that there's no one around. What are you supposed to do around here? There's no crack. What do you mean go to church? Christianity is old and dead and stupid. And like, oh God, who cares about God? I saw a YouTube video by Christopher Hitchens and he's disproven that bigoted ignorance, yeah? Let's not do that anymore. And I went to the cities. And what happens when I go to the city, when I go to college is I, I, I immediately, I plug into the culture. I bl plug into stuff that I didn't know before. I knew I had an instinct where I knew I wanted to go to the city because it's like a giant party in my mind. It's where all the people are. And of course, this is what kind of carries me to this, this hope of like going to hang out with all the people. It really actually reveals to me quite a lot about what I thought about my purpose and what, I, what the bullshit I would tell myself. Oh, I want to go to the city to get my degree. It's no, I just want to go to the city so I can party and hang out with girls and hang out with cool people. And I just think that where I live, the countryside lacks all that type of stuff. And it's funny when you get older, you start looking back at the countryside and thinking to yourself, I wouldn't mind going there. <laughs> the city is hell. I wouldn't mind going there. So... So yeah, so cyclical stuff. The same old story, it has happened to me, it's happened to everyone, you know, blah, 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 blah. But what happened to me when I came to the city is I entered in college and I actually experienced for the first time, and this, this became a big point of issue for me because I didn't really have the internet and I didn't really have TV when I was younger. I Like if I wanted to load up a YouTube video, I'd have to sit down and, and you know, the, the dial up, the crappy internet, and it's still crap even in the countryside. And you, it would take ages. To, to load it'd be like you know the thing sitting there so you'd have to leave it there for like three hours and come watch Christopher Hitchens talk for like three minutes about how atheism is awesome and all this stuff or Cristiano Ronaldo or something like that and so when I came up to the city with the college with the fastest internet in the world um, it was this it was this ripping out of the womb of, of where I'd been from and I felt ashamed I felt uncultured I felt I didn't know anything about life because all these people I talked to who had had the internet longer and all this stuff, they were plugged into this way crazier mindset. They were plugged into the, the, the story and progress of the world. They were plugged into what's actually, like what's happening in the culture. They were pro plugged into the collective zeitgeist, if you will. And all this talk was this talk of progress, this talk that we're all chasing towards singularity. That was quite a big thing in the sense of like, I come across Terence McKenna and he's speaking about these ideas, these incredible ideas about, you know, you t we're all going to take psychedelics and our openness is going to lead us to, and the transcendental object at the end of time where we all ascend into the singularity as consciousness and leave behind these bodies and leave nature entirely you know and think about what i was just saying about the industrial revolution he seems like he was he was he was like the prophet for this idea you know 2012 will come and we'll all zoom up into the into the oversoul and and that will be the end of it will become these like super blob blob blobs if you will and then people like carl jung and, and all these they floated around i would describe it as the new age religion because tied to this there's all these rituals the ritual of taking lsd it was almost like i was i was entering the 60s and that's that's actually quite an interesting thing because that that 
cultural trend is probably what I'd leave this as. It's so prominent and powerful. It's the psychedelic revolution. It's the new age revolution. And the, this is this is the energy of progress. It's like this psychedelic tech revolution. A lot of the people like Steve Jobs and all that, they came out of the hippie culture. These guys were very much involved in that type of stuff. And I get baptized into this. And this is stuff that you don't hear about. You don't hear about it because back in school, I was actually incredibly cultured and I didn't realize it. I had a brilliant English teacher and he taught me about William Butler Yeats. He taught me about poetry. He taught me about like Shakespeare. He taught me about deep history, literature, and um, how to read the Bible, how to critically analyze all this type of stuff. I had a very, very brilliant teacher from that young age and I was incredibly well-versed in, in this deep stuff, these well-grounded stuff, things that Jordan Peterson would sort of popularize later. But what this, the culture I entered into had all these like sort of modernized ideas, these post-1960s ideas, and that was this big trend. And I felt I felt like I was held behind from it. And the energy among this is that we're all going to make it, you know, the sort of load of middle-class young people hyped up on left-brain dopamine, thinking like we're all just going to, you know, plug into this 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 movement and this movement's going to carry us to the kingdom of heaven as it always suggests and this is the sort of popularized culture the hype that's going on self-help is a part of this the psychedelic movement is part of this positive thinking you know take the drugs think positive get involved in tech and it's all going to be winning and everything's going to work out and and filled you know everything everything's equal everything's about love and whatnot and then of course when I got into this, I went through many, many tumbles and, and problems. But of course, I began that problem of iteration because when you uh, secretly, because you desire to be part of a culture, part of uh, hanging out with people, be part of the cool people, you want a purpose. But by purpose, what you really mean is you want an identity and a status so that like the girls will think you're hot and the boys will give you respect so that the girls like think you're hot. <laughs> and so what you do is you try to find your place, you try to find your niche, you try to find your purpose, your mission. And so when people come up to you and say, what do you do? You can sort of be like, yeah, well, I'm, a, I'm the guy with the mission, you know? And so people would ask me and, and they would often say, you know, what would you do? And I was, I'd always scratch my head. It's like, who am I? I can't just say like, the, the, I'm the little country boy who doesn't know anything. What I'd have to do is, is try to reinvent myself. And, and that's that's what I instinctively started to do. Oh, I'm the neo-hippie psychedelic poet. You know, I write poetry for this movement. I latch on to this collective energy and try to participate in it to give me status. And this becomes a, an incredible revelation about this whole idea of purpose that I want to point out is that subconsciously you're driven by very, very crude and Freudian desires. You just want to be popular. You just want to fit in. You just want to have a purpose in place. You just want these certain very, very, very basic instincts. And then you'll get involved in a movement and the movement could be a load of crap. But because it's where all the cool people are, your perception of cool is that you'll just you'll you'll just figure out a way to fit in. And, and in all this talk about your purpose and, and the way you want to you know, you help everybody and all this type of stuff, it's all it's all just masks. The, the left brain rationalizing these instinctive things the right brain is guiding it towards these things that it thinks it needs community and stuff and stuff like this. And so I was falling for that, most certainly. And of course, this tends to not work because you're picking basically a fake personality. It's not an authentic personality, a persona, you might say, or something like that. And so it would always crash and burn. 
and then I get depressed. And of course, when I plug into college and all this type of stuff, none of this stuff works because it's all, you know, sterilized. I'm, my sleeping goes to crap. My eating, I start eating the crappy city food. I get the gorgeous fluoride, fluoride laden water. All this bad stuff starts to happen. My pineal gland calcifies. I can no longer see the astral plane. I start taking drugs. I start drinking too much. I start like ruining my routine, you know, back in the countryside. You were like very, very routine that all that stuff goes and um i yeah i start to get depressed i start to get depressed and i fall into anguish and when you're depressed i start to feel inanimate and when i feel inanimate i'm not fun to be around and suddenly i can't get status and this is something you should be taking scribbling notes down because this is precisely why i think a lot of people ask for this purpose they feel inanimate around people they feel like they can't bring the energy to people they feel like they're they don't have a vibe and and they feel depressed about that and they feel people judge them for that and certainly people do judge you for that. Hate to break it to you. Yes, they do. They see you as this low energy loser, but they don't think about it too much. They don't like, you know, obsess about you and scribble on their wall. It's like hate Steph, hate Steph, hate Steph. They're just sort of like, ah, oh, bad energy, not interested. And they go to someone who's got a stronger energy. And these people in the city are usually just fucking blown off their mind and drugs. So that's, there's the, there's the red pill people, right? But, um, but this is this is what starts to happen. You sink down into inanimation because of all these things that are going wrong because you live in this post-industrial blast fragment. And then what goes on is you you get you get depressed and then people stop paying attention. You stop getting validated and then you start to sink really, really low. And so what I began and what I think a lot of people begin is they begin the 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 attempt to iterate, they begin the attempt to find their purpose. I need a purpose. I need a direction. I need something to do. I need someone to be. And so they start trying out lots of different things. And of course, if you have the luxury of of uh, of time and money, and I don't really have the luxury of of, t of either of those, but and um, you you like be willing to stay broke, especially if it's sort of animus inside you. You'll be willing to like be broke and be a piece of crap and like you know low status, so you can kind of try and make it. You can be the underdog struggling to try overcome your situation. And so I started to go through various iterations. I started to say, or right, I'll be the psychedelic poet. Okay, no, I'll just be the sort of um, musician. I'll get into techno. No, I'll be like a guitarist. No, I'll uh, be like a social guy. No, I'll be like a, a club promoter. No, I'll be a salesman. And you try all these type of things. You try to fit in. You try all these different shapes to try figure out what's going on. And, and eventually you, you start to do some very crazy things in order to find this purpose thing. And, and one of the ones that I want to discuss is the, the, um, what I would call the, the danger of the, the, the latching onto some type of grand narrative. Because at one point in my struggle for purpose, I started to get into veganism. Now, this is an absolutely fascinating thing for me to look back on psychologically. And I've talked about this briefly before, but I, I think it's one of the most interesting periods and in things in my whole life. So we're going to dive into that now. This zeitgeist you enter when you go into the city, this progressive attitude is is premised on it's like this massive dopamine frenzy premised on this idea that everything's going to work out and we're all going towards this glorious brilliant place where you know everything is just going to be awesome there'll be no judgment there'll be no problems there'll be no negativity it'll all just be like ever ever resonant boundary dissolved love it will just be this like perfect thing and and so what what you do is you notice that in there there's some idealistic first principles such as radical equality you could say and Everything around these ideas and this progressive attitude, the, these these big ideas such as equality, tolerance, openness, lack of boundaries and all this type of stuff, they're incredibly attractive to a young person because they feel just so naturally good. And 
you you get you they're so deep so subconsciously deep that you want to attach your purpose to them like you, you, whatever you try to do, if you get in for tech, you're trying to save the world in some sense. And by saving the world, you specifically mean bringing massive equality to the world or something like this or, or, or ending suffering, you know, these type of things. These super deep ideas, these super deep first principles, they're so deep that you can't even realize this is what you're operating towards. You take tech and you try save the world through radical openness and equality that way. Or you be the psychedelic poet like me and you're a prophet of radical openness like Terence McKenna was. Or you t take psychedelics and form the same thing, or you do acting and you're representing, um, you, you know, you make movies, you're representing as an artist these type of first principles. And, and of course, we're going to talk about Nietzsche. He might be a challenger to this, but we'll get to that later. Because the final manifestation of me interacting with this, me struggling to find a, an ultimate purpose, was me coming in contact with veganism. Because veganism is premised on that specific worldview. It's like a religious perspective. And at this point, I'd really bought into all these this purpose, these missions. And I, I was going on these fake crusades. This is the sort of issue. I was going on this fake crusade because I come in, in contact with these deep zeitgeist first principles and I hear that you could possibly not hurt animals and actually be really, really healthy. And I get in my head this identity, this high status identity that I will become a bodybuilder who will, <laughs> who will eat nothing but vegetables and improve this religious perspective that in fact our entire traditional diet was entirely wrong. That thing that those people in the countryside ate was completely wrong. The countryside has been completely invalidated by, by my, my genius and science and forwardness. And I run this experiment. I say to myself, all I've got to do is I've just got to eat vegan purely for a long period of time and get jacked. And then I can walk around and show off and show that it's like these values work. These values create vitality. There's this entire premise on the nature of a human being because those old ignorant people in the countryside, in nature, back in nature, back in the past, back holding us back, I guess, if you will, they're running on these ideas that you have to orientate yourself a certain way. You have to, you know, you, you, you eat meat because it's the ritual of what we do, but that's actually savage. You know, to kill that pig, that's a savage, horrible, backwards thing that you do. So what, what I'm going to do, how I'm going to save the world is I'm going to prove that wrong. And then I'll save billions of animals across the planet. And then I'll charge towards that vision, charge towards that thing. And it's all premised on this idea of equality, that we don't need to do something horrible that nature imposes upon us, which is in order for nature to thrive, in order for something in nature to thrive, something else must be consumed. In order for energy to move in one direction, it must be destroyed in the other direction. Everything is energy in motion. Okay, do you understand? And so when energy goes from uh, from one thing, it has to it has to delete the, the or it has to crumble and manifest as something new. And so, in order for you to to thrive according to nature, you have to eat meat, and then you dissolve that meat. You dissolve the animals. Um, efforts and spirit and become something and it, it integrates into you and it becomes your power in order for an animal to live you must eat the animals uh, the animal must eat the plants and take the plant's life and consume it and then become powerful itself and so i come with this idea that, that that's wrong in fact our nature is that we can eat animals in this symbiosis in this perfect harmony with things eat sorry plants in this perfect harmony with things and i'm going to prove that 
and this will prove that like we are not these monsters these unequal monsters that tyrannize the world there's like the, the bad people in the world that cause bad things that cause pain and suffering these people are all wrong they're wrong in philosophical first principle and i will prove it through action and so I go through this and this becomes a mission. And I want you to see the reason why I'm telling you this story is how, how interesting this need for a mission can actually be one of the worst things in your life because you get caught up in doing some crazy stuff, you know, becoming taking a load of psychedelics to make yourself a poet, taking a, like eating, going hardcore vegan just to kind of prove a point, to give yourself a purpose. I, re I talk to a lot of people who go through fake crusades and some guys I know, like they, they get really into like, oh, I'm going to learn to get really, really good at girls. And eventually they, they try it for ages and ages and ages. And eventually they just find someone and settle down. Or I remember another thing I got into, which is sort of related to this is like uh, working out really hard and getting really, really strong. And you get really, really strong because that gives you a purpose, gives you a direction to go in. And of course, I tried this vegan thing. I go hardcore at it. And this was a massive change in my life. This was a huge awakening to certain issues because I went vegan hardcore and it was working for a long time and I didn't die or anything like that. But then I got injured and I began to get injured more and more and more. And then at one point I was kind of in a bad place. I was injured and I sort of said to myself, philosophically maybe i'm wrong maybe this first principle is wrong maybe this idea that we can just eat plants and be healthy is wrong and maybe i should try meat just to test it out just to see if it's okay and so what i do is i i eat uh, i eat a load of mints i buy a load of beef mints and at this point in my life i had been going to the gym trying to get big and strong not getting anywhere getting injured instead eating this really strict vegan diet so having these like huge meals to get in all the calories to try and make it go and my life had been like working working out three days a week and usually being really sore in between these you know you get a lot of muscle pains and all this type of stuff and i just worked out this day i was i was depressed my, my i had pain i was sad i was feeling low energy and so i ate a lot of beef and immediately i felt better which is weird but I didn't think too much of it. I said, ah, whatever, I'll, I'll sleep in it and see what happens. And I woke up the next day and I had no muscle pain at all. Like I was not sore at all. My muscles had fully recovered from the previous day's workout. And that scared me. That frightened me immensely because I realized that the meat had healed me really effectively. Now, maybe it's because I wasn't doing the vegan diet properly. But this shocked me because this showed me that the meat was highly vital. And I might be incorrect on first principle. Now, you're probably thinking, well, why the hell, what, what the hell does this have to do with anything? But I guess I'm, I'm trying to suggest to you this actually changed my entire philosophical paradigm and my pursuit of finding a purpose, again, through going through another persona, another iteration, another mission, had finally hit me up against the, the, the bottom first principles that actually made me realize what I was getting in touch with and finally allowed me to understand Nietzsche in some sense to the point where I actually woke up and I started to say to myself, this idea of radical equality overall, what if that is wrong? Now, this has actually shoved me into a massive existential crisis, as this question about purpose should, because you have to ask yourself, what is my purpose and what, if, what is my place? If my entire philosophical zeitgeist has the wrong first principles, how do I find a purpose? How do I find a place? If I'm to get status in this progressive movement and I have tried it to its very end, 
and the the first principle is wrong. This is like me trying Christianity and finding out Christianity is wrong in like the 1400s and coming out and saying, oh, I, I don't know about Christianity. I don't know. Do I want to be? Let's maybe try change the direction or something like that. That's insane. That's an insane purpose. That's that will get you in so much trouble. That will get you murdered. That will get you killed. That literally would have back then. And there's these same problems, these same fears, because I still crave status. I kind of just want to fit in. But then there's this other part of me that's kind of like digging down into the truth. And I become very, very skeptical. I, I start to have like a very serious conflict because I want to just go out and pretend everything is awesome. But and, you know, the, we're all just shuttling towards something glorious. But I start to become sort of pessimistic because if this idea of this radical equality with the animals is wrong and this first principle is wrong and this first principle is extremely deep this is an extremely deep first principle and I flip that up and I undo that and I, I realize that it's not about equality it's about excellence equality does not bring vitality and these, these are just such sins to think but I went through this idea of hitting the vegan thing hard and I'm now tossing with this and I'm and I'm struggling with Nietzsche I, I experience all this stuff and and this, does, does this mean that this whole idea of the tech thing that Terence McKenna was talking about is going to be a fake crusade as well and it'll be like the vegan thing where I try it and I end up being depressed and unhealthy and in pain and so we get on board with this kind of tech progress and it goes it, tur it turns into hell it turns into a dystopia like maybe maybe all those promises of the past of like you know in the French Revolution oh we'll make the society equal and it ends up in a reign of terror is, is that what I had just hit on early and it makes me become sort of pessimistic makes me become sort of um, jaded and I take a step back and suddenly I'm no longer caught up in the thing. And I wonder, I, I feel these urges inside of me. It's like, should my purpose now be to tell the truth about this? To go up on YouTube and say to the people, it's all wrong. It's all wrong. I found the truth. It's all wrong. Is that is that my new role? My new role is the reactionary. My new role is the skeptic. It becomes a very, very interesting thing. And you can see where I'm, I'm kind of worrying about that one because maybe maybe that might be closer to the truth. But it's like, I don't know, would you find many chicks hanging around reactionary YouTube or something like that? So I'm kind of thinking to myself, oh, I don't know now. I don't know, like, you know, in my head, I'm sort of saying, oh, it's, well, it's very, it's very, it's just me. It's a very, very radical idea. But deep down here, I'm sort of saying, there's no girls, dude. Don't do it, man. <laughs> just pretend you didn't just close your eyes. It just, yeah, just ignore it. Don't say stuff like that. And so I completely avoided talking about that stuff ever. And I never would because it's wrong. Okay. But this, these thoughts, I guess, led me some dark alleys that I, you know, I, I entertained and I played around with, but I, I didn't take them in any way serious. But I'm going to show you one of them, for example. And, and this is um, an inverse to this big story. Like we're all getting into these cities and we're going to launch into the utopia of consciousness. And around about this time, I'm getting pulled back to something really hardcore, a really hardcore first principle is that we have a nature and that nature is aligned with nature herself. And nature's law dictates more than our law. And if you want to think of this from a religious perspective, God made nature and he put his principles within nature. And we do not get to uh, alleviate ourselves of these laws, despite the fact we're on this 300 year run to try break the rules. Eventually, his law will come back. We can't escape that long. It's like a heartbeat trying to jump away from the principle of firmness, which is the hard ground. It's like trying to jump away from gravity. You'll get, you could jump very, very high, but you'll get pulled down eventually. And so we come across this very, very issue. And so I start to become really obsessed with the idea of nature and what that is. And this brings me to this. 
So this is um, called the Mouse Utopia Experiment. To see how Dr. Calhoun's mouse universe grew, we'll use the familiar population graph again. Within the first 100 days, the mice went through the period Dr. Calhoun called Strive. So he puts a load of mice in this big, perfect utopia. There's full of food. Everything is perfect. It's perfectly organized. There's abundant resources, no prey, no animals, no disease and all this. And he just sees how it plays out. This was a period of adjustment. Territories were established and nests were made. The next period lasted about 250 days. The population of the mice doubled every 60 days. This was called the exploit period. The use of resources became unequal. Although each living unit was identical in structure and opportunities, more food and water was consumed in some areas. As the population increased, most mice associated eating and drinking with the presence of others and crowding developed in certain units. The third period, consisting of 300 days, found the population of mice leveling off. This was called the equilibrium period. Dr. Calhoun noticed that the newer generations of young were inhibited since most space was already socially defined. Interesting. At this time, some unusual behavior became noticeable. Violence became prevalent. There's the boils arriving. <laughs> Excess males strived for acceptance, were rejected, and withdrew. Oh shit, no, that's not Huddling the boils. together, they would exhibit brief flurries of violence among themselves. Climbing mountains. The effects of violence became increasingly visible. Certain individuals became targets of repeated attack. These individuals would have badly chewed and scarred tails. That's gonna be the Jargonites. Other young mice growing into adulthood exhibited an even different type of behavior. Dr. Calhoun called these individuals the beautiful ones. Their time was devoted solely to grooming, eating, and sleeping. They never involved themselves with others, engaged in sex, nor would they fight. All appeared as a beautiful exhibit of the species, with keen alert eyes and a healthy, well-kept body. These mice, however, could not cope with unusual stimuli. Though they looked inquisitive, they were, in fact, very stupid. So think about um, Calhoun called the Instagram last period in that context. The it's very interesting. Leading the population into extinction. Although the mouse utopia could house 3,000, the population began to decline at 2,200. In the shift from the equilibrium to the die phase, each animal became less aware of associates, despite all animals being pushed closer together. Dr. Calhoun concluded that the mice could not effectively deal with the repeated contact of so many individuals. The evidence of violence increased to the point where most individuals had had their tails bitten to some degree. Eventually, 
the entire mouse population perished. Dr. Calhoun's experiment is a classic example of a typical population and its growth when left unchecked. <laughs> so, we'll talk about this. Now, this and these realizations put me in a precarious position because they evoke in me a deep pessimism. I feel the pessimism that the right brain must feel towards the left brain's master plans, towards progress. The left brain chanting about its dopaminergic plan. People talk to me about how everything's going to work out and I feel like it's like arguing with a left brain. I, I have no interest in it because you're just going to get insulted and put down and no one's going to take serious what could be going on. And it makes you wonder and it makes me wonder because this question of purpose and mission and destiny becomes precarious at this point. What does your purpose mean if there won't be a society in 440 years? What, what, what does it mean then? If you're living at the end of Rome, what's the point in, you know, trying to get a position and status and get along with Rome if Rome's about to collapse you're probably better off hanging out with the barbarians at that point at least then you'll have you know you become a king or something like this it becomes very very interesting and then this becomes quite strange when you look at all these popular conceptions because you wonder what is going on for example the architects of the world with all their master plans they definitely know this stuff is happening they're they're wise people and they have some incredible information and they, they're not in their position for no reason and so you wonder like are these people aware of this and they're putting in place systems that will help manage what what happens like for example say we are in the end of rome are these people creating a new institution like the christian church to put into place to make sure that there's some type of stability when everything goes crazy maybe something like that is going on and does that explain their actions better than just assuming that they're evil monsters trying to kill you but, but, but then there's also the, another even more frightening possibility that these people might be as caught up with the left-brained collective zeitgeist and utopia as everyone else. And they might be charging towards this utopia thinking it's going to all work out. And then it, it, it will all go to crap and it will be a disaster. And they, of course, will have ruined the world. And we will all have, well, you know, everyone will suffer because of it. And it makes you wonder and it makes you scratch your noggin. It's hard to figure out. It really is hard to figure out. And I'm not saying I have the answer, but I do have a perspective. And this is all that I can offer in this position because I know a lot of boyos are very anxious about this stuff because a lot of what's going on now is the discussion of the next industrial revolution. There's going to be a step forward. And this next industrial revolution is going to have an effect on our destiny that is as significant as the first one perhaps even more and you wonder are we going to go deeper into this sterilized condom hell with this next industrial revolution where we become less human where we finally get slot slided slid into the pods of makina's matrix and that is the end of us or is it going to be something a lot more be beneficial where we all ascend into the um, joyous consciousness and um, vibrant utopia that terence mckenna promises and then you wonder about other things like will it be a sort of exclusionary thing where the people who are enlightened enough to listen to terence mckenna will will get to go along with the party but the, the people who weren't or the people who didn't understand will get left behind and all these things become incredibly frightening and it becomes very very difficult to figure this stuff out but of course that fright that fear is a secret blessing because now suddenly your life is interesting isn't it now suddenly you've got a future and now suddenly you'll understand the way to find a purpose because it's true existential dread that you actually get in contact with something that is real to something that gives you purpose and my last 
um, touch on this and the place I'd like to leave you upon is the my perspective on what is missing from all this, what is missing from the conversation, what is taboo. And I would say that it is precisely Nietzsche's perspective. It is precisely Nietzsche himself. And I, I say this in Nietzsche's unity and perhaps even balancing with Jung because Nietzsche suggested from the very, very start that this whole project was coming from the wrong perspective. He he subtly alluded to its left-brainism. It is delusional, this whole idea of that everything's just going to work out if we charge hard enough towards our ideals and don't ask ourselves separate questions. Instead, Nietzsche said what is fundamental, what is first, is the body, is the animate spirit, the will to power, the will to life that he says at the root of it. Jung would call this the anima, the electricity that runs through your body, the instincts that run through your body that create your mind, the right brain that is unconscious, that speaks and controls your left brain and tells your left brain what to do. And this is the, the place that we should serve. And this is the place that our Cartesian dualism forces us to ignore, forces us to make a mistake about. And this is the thing that gives us direction and purpose, but it does it in a very specific way. It animates us. It does not give us some type of left-brained mission statement, which is what we're all seeking for, and which is what is driving us all towards this madness. Because everybody who's looking to commit their life work and do a great work is looking for a mission statement and they get given one, make everything equal, make everything happy, make everything soft, make everything comfort comfortable. And these all sound good on paper, but they do not work in practice. And it's precisely because we lead with our psychological left brains that we have such a disaster about this. And this might be the cardinal sin, me saying this stuff. Maybe I should be quiet and hope that they show up in their alien spaceship and take me on board. The greys come and they say to me, okay, this is the plan. You've figured it out. You're all, you're going to be okay. We're going to take you out when it all goes down and then we'll pop you in as a king. Maybe that's what I should do. But I guess my position right now is that I have to tell the truth on some level. And my mission right now is not necessarily to become some ideologue and, you know, prove the world right by becoming a vegan bodybuilder. But my interest is to actually bring energy back to people because this is what I see lacking. I see people lack spirit. I see people are inanimate and they have lost their spirit. And I believe that what makes life work living is that spirit within us when we can redeem it in a very young sense sense when we can have that self of ours flower into something beautiful such as the creative natural human self. I believe that process is real and it exists. I believe this is what Nietzsche and Jung alluded to and said this is a rare rare blossoming when this is achieved and I look to see that happening and I'll give you some examples of how this stuff might manifest. Tyler Durden for example in Fight Club is an example of the instincts of the animate unconscious at, uh, ripping out of reality and, and taking us towards the place that we need to go. The instincts grabbing the wheel off us and say, you fucking idiots, you don't know what you're doing. You arrogant fools, here's what's going to go. And this is precisely our dynamic. We have these um, stiff, inanimate, depressed Edward Norton type persona. And then uh, Tyler Durden comes up and commits the ultimate taboo, gets you to do the unsterile thing of fighting, gets you to get back in touch with your primal nature, gets you dirty, fills you full of suffering and pain, establishes inequality through the law of combat upon you. And suddenly that animates him and it animates thousands of boyos around him and they all gather towards that energy and it becomes this massive upwardly spiraling project to the point of it loses control. Napoleon is the exact same thing. Napoleon appears in the era, the beginning of this era, when everybody is talking about equality, when everybody kills their kings for the sake of equality and Napoleon comes and he champions that, but he is carrying the energy of 
winner and he he, he pays lip service to these ideas he, he he speaks to this left brain and says yes 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 we're all fraternity we're all liberal we're all equality but I am your king and then he crowns himself emperor the ultimate statement of inequality but the thing is is that he represents the animate spirit of the people and this is precisely what people were looking for they were not looking for someone who was looking for this equality for this left brain jargonism they weren't looking for that stuff because if they were they would have accepted anybody who just said it they killed most of the people who talked about equality after their revolution because they were concerned with something different they were looking for force they were looking for someone to represent their spirit and napoleon appeared like this and i propose to everyone that the more you get in touch with your spirit the more you you find that spirit the the further forward you bring the world towards something that is animate living and alive it is the great historical challenge that we all face within this technological society and i warn people to be aware of this is that the further we push towards stuff like radical left-brainism the more pregnant and ready people are for a crazy messiah like napoleon who despite his glory and despite Tyler Durden's glory goes insane eventually Napoleon charged into Russia he was a frightening force to appear upon the world stage and this is we're priming ourselves for this at this point because of our denial the more we deny the more extreme the reaction will come and this stuff is building up and most certainly it starts with you find that animated energy within yourself and I, I, I say at some point something extreme will happen and if that happens if that really really strong animated energy happens you're going to need your instincts to be in place so that you know what to do and this is how I would answer that question of what is my purpose in the modern age. So I hope you find that useful. I hope you find that juicy. And if you want to work with me, if you want to get in touch with me and I will lead you towards your own inner animation, we, we can discuss these Jungian concepts. I will bring you there myself. You can apply below in the link in the description, the link in the top comment, and we will exchange uh, messages either via voice message or via phone call. And we'll have a chat and we can see can we work together. So thank you very much, people. This is uh, yeah. this has been a pleasure. I hope you enjoyed, and we'll talk to you later. Yeah. Bye bye. Fuck all the bullshit, dig from deep down inside. I wrote this sitting shotgun in my favorite ride, reflecting on memories from my childhood, bringing a baby in this world. I hope my child good. All I ever gave a fuck about was my career, but all that shit out the window now that my son is here. Fuck sales and streams, none of that shit entails dreams. Fuck rap, fuck press, fuck feeling like I'm less. If it ain't about my happiness, then I could give a fuck less. I remember window shopping. Now I'm shopping for windows for my baby new room, Bobby coming soon. And that's the type of line I would have second guessed putting on my shit before. Out of fear that they would hate, cause they couldn't relate, cause it wasn't relevant. Give a fuck if it's evident, this right here is the evidence. I'm like Leo and Revenant, bear with me. You could tear me apart, but I won't take away the fact I wrote this shit from the heart. Where it's been from the start, where it's finna stay. I've learned every day's a good day. Surrounded by people that love me, don't want nothing from me but my happiness. Off the internet, that's when I'm at my happiest Scrolling so much, my thumb fucked up We call that carpet tunnel vision Follow me like religion on this course of collision Feeling in prison and this is my freedom Through these lyrics as I repeat them And beat them into my conscience like a dinosaur This lyricism straight to the dome like cocaine through the sinus I think I finally found my paradise, it's worth the timers